Hello and welcome to Connected, episode 289. It's made possible this week by our sponsors, Pingdom, Squarespace, and Bowl and Branch. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by Mr. Mike Curley. Happy to be here, taking a break from Animal Crossing. Yeah, I'm glad we, you, we, you can make time for us. Thank you for, <laughs> for putting that down for a minute. <laughs> and uh, Federico Vitici. Happy to be here, taking a break from Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Stephen. And, and and writing. I'm also I've also been writing, but really, I was just playing Pokemon ten minutes ago. We're going to talk about uh, your your recent writing here in a minute, but we have to begin with follow up. Follow up. Follow up. Follow up. I don't even know when we talked about this, but at some point we did this thing where we had to find, or I had to find, like the oldest pages on. Apple's website? Do y'all remember this? It's when we, for some reason, came across the trailers page. That's yes. right. Yes, and I emailed with Eddie, with uh, Eddie Q. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Who <laughs> sent me an emoticon smiley face. <laughs> That's a very <laughs> surreal <laughs> situation. But it wasn't actually Eddie Q. We don't know it, that. They, somebody at Apple did send you that. We can't... But we all decided that it was Eddie Q. We believe it to be, of course. But we can't say it's fact. Anyways, Benjamin Mayo found this page that has uh, a discount going. So if you buy any Power Mac G5 <laughs> any, and a 23-inch cinema <laughs> display, you'll save $500. That's a pretty good deal. This page is incredibly broken in like every conceivable way, but still exists on Apple.com. Like there's still some stuff here like that you can click to other things. Copyright 2004, this page. Can I read you all the navigation at the top? There's no images. But I, I can read you what the URLs are. Oh, let's see if it's a bunch of question marks. Yeah, but the links are still there. Oh, yeah, the links work. Okay. So it's apple.com, so the homepage, and then okay. the store. Okay. And then iTunes, and then iTools. What is iTools? It was iCloud, but before that it was MobileMe, but before that it was .Mac, it was iTools. When you click that link, it directs to me.com and then to iCloud.com. <laughs> it's like... Me, <laughs> iCloud. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a link in the show notes. I wrote about iTools uh, a couple years ago, so you can go check that out. And then uh, we move on from there. We have QuickTime, Support, and Mac OS X. Uh, I clicked the iTunes one, and the marketing thing on the top of the iTunes page is very clever right now. It says iTunes is going places. Nice. What it means is podcasts, music, and Apple TV. I just thought that that marketing line's good. It means iTunes has been murdered behind the shed. <laughs> yeah, I like that somebody wrote that, you know, like people aren't really paying attention to it, but it's just a thing. I just love it. Mm-hmm. So now that I see the, you know, I'm looking at the footer of the website, mm-hmm. and I know that, so there's a number that you can call 1-800-MY-APPLE, yeah. uh, which I believe is also the, uh, I believe this number still exists, it does. maybe. So something, this is totally unrelated, but now that I see this number, something that I've always sort of like wanted to do or wish that like somebody on YouTube did. And this is totally one of my weird things um, that I'm about to say, but like, I would like somebody to go through a bunch of old like video game magazines or like really old stuff, find all these numbers and call all these numbers and see what happens. Like, do you get redirected to somebody else totally random? Like, what if you took a number from a video game magazine from... I don't know, 1985, right? And try to call it. And what if you try to do that for like a hundred different support numbers? I think I saw a thing online once that the Nintendo one is still up. Really? 
Yeah, I, I'm sure I saw somebody like tweeting about that, or I saw an article about it that like the the whatever 800 number for Nintendo to get like tips and suggestions on how right. to beat Mario. Like you can still call that number. I, I, it goes to their support team now, I think, which is less. Yeah. Anyway, sometimes I come across really old stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know, an old newspaper or an old magazine. And I always think, what if I call this number today and be like, hey, I found this number in a magazine from 35 years ago. Who are you? Kyle in the chat room pointed out that you can actually still download the mailing coupon Yes. Uh, for this savings thing. It's like a PDF and you've got the whole thing and it looks, you know, got a big peacock. It's great. It's very Apple-y of the mid-2000s. So how did you find out about the Apple Brilliant Savings Program? Select one response only. <laughs> Worldwide web advertising. That's the answer. <laughs> Print advertising, in-store materials, or word of mouth. I guess for us, it was worldwide web advertising. But for our listeners, it's word of mouth. Word of mouth. If Apple had not offered the brilliant savings promotion, which one would you most likely have done? Delayed purchasing a Mac? Not purchased an Apple Cinema HD display? Purchased a Windows-based PC? Purchased the Mac anyway. (laughs) Purchased the Mac anyways. (laughs) This is good. If I I buy a Pro Display XDR, can I send this in and get some money back? Is Is it carry forward? You should try it, you know. It's a very expensive experiment. You should buy it, send it in, and attach a note saying, hey, sorry for the uh, 16-year delay, uh, just trying to get my uh, coupon. Trying to get my coupon. <laughs> I mean, I have the tower. It looks kind of the same. I sent this to a friend of mine, and he responded that I should try to hook up one of these displays to my Mac Pro. And so that's going to be my week next week. Good. I'll report back. <laughs> Look, I can't go anywhere. I got to do something. Just uh, mm-hmm. hook up an old display. I don't have the 23-inch, though. I have the 17 pseudo display, so mine's not as big as this, but it'll be funny anyways. Well, that's bad. You got to get the 23-inch then. I will not accept anything uh, smaller than 23-inch cinema display. These are the displays that you like, right? You like the way these look with the acrylic and stuff? They look really nice. They look really nice. I think they do, too. I think this look has come back around. Mm. you know like this being an attractive design it's like it's it's circled all the way back around and we're we're back here again you know yeah it looked real old the second they started shipping the aluminum ones yeah but now the and and now this looks cool now the like the older aluminum ones look old right Mm -hmm. and so like we've come all the way back around again i think syracuse used one of these until until like Three months ago, I think that was what he was using with his with his Mac Pro. Yeah, it was the cinema display. Yeah. So I will uh, I'll report back on if I can get mine working with my Mac Pro. Did they have a blue one of these? They had an LCD one before this that was called the. I'm looking through Mac Tracker, the Apple Studio Display 15 inch, and there was a blue one and a graphite one. I'll send you a picture of this. It was like super expensive. They didn't sell very many of them, but this was the this like clear look. These all look basically the same. Uh, Federico, can you catch us up on your very interesting music journey? We got a couple pieces of feedback. Sure. So a lot of people recommended or actually asked me, why didn't you go with this service uh, called Rune? That's R-O-O-N. I tried Rune uh, multiple times in the past. It's very popular among desktop users. Uh, If you have a PC or a Mac, they have a really good desktop app that scans your music library and presents you with a 
a different uh, visualization, I guess, of your artists. Um, you can get like this beautiful layout with uh, high resolution photography, and uh, the app does some really interesting things in sort of surfacing additional information for each of your artists. It's really nice looking. The problem is that. I don't plan on using uh, Rune on the Mac. I don't like the idea of having a primarily desktop-oriented um, service. Um, and my main issue with it is that when I tried Rune on the iPad, so first of all, you got to keep Rune running on the Mac. So that that's fine. It's just an app that I can leave running in my dock. But when I tested it on the iPad and the iPhone, I couldn't get the high-resolution output to work when used with my Sony Walkman as an external USB DAC. So um, it looks really nice on the desktop, and I believe that it does what you're looking, uh, you know, what you know, it does support high-resolution audio. Uh, if you have a Mac and if you have a USB DAC that you want to plug into your Mac, this is totally going to work for you. In fact, I recommend it. It's an expensive service. It's not cheap. But if you're that type of person, you know, lots of people who have, like, really large, for example, classical music collections or really large, like, uh, collections of jazz albums, I know that it's very popular. Uh, amongst those users. It's got integration with uh, Tidal for high-resolution streaming. It supports a bunch of um, uh, like high-performance network players. Um, really well done, but it's primarily for the desktop, whereas I was looking for something that would support high-resolution output on the iPad and potentially also on the iPhone, which is what Neutron does and Rune does not on iOS and iPadOS. So that's why I... I tried Rune, but I didn't uh, choose it as my preferred solution. Um, speaking of Rune, we uh, speaking of Neutron, uh, we did get um, at least one email saying that we were overly childish in our um, description of Neutron and other apps that we covered last week, and I just I just wanted to say um, a few things about this. Uh, obviously, we we. Um, and I don't recall the exact words of the email. Uh, obviously, we did not mean to offend anybody. Um, I feel like we may have, you know, gotten carried away a little bit. We got we got a bit silly. We got a bit silly on it. Got a bit silly on it. I think we. I think so. There's a few things that I want to say. I think we could all use some fun these days, and those, so that's probably where the spirit of the pent-up comedic, you know, comedic aspect <laughs> uh, came from last week. Um, but I also want to say something. Um, the email that we got mentioned, though, it was basically something along the lines of um, it was, you know, bad behavior on your part because these are indie developers and you were making fun of their user interfaces and it's not fun because these are indies and we should all support each other. I understand the sentiment, right? I... I I don't think you can find any other Apple website that loves indie developers more than Mac Stories. And I'm not bragging, it's just what it is. We we work alongside, in a way, we work alongside indie developers every single day of the week. And we've been doing that for the past decade. So I don't really feel like I should be lectured about, you know, what it means to support indie developers. But, and this is something that irks, irks me to an extent, this idea that, I should never, and by I, I mean me personally, as well as other people like, you know, you guys or on other shows, that we should never 
criticize indie developers because they're indies and because we should all support each other by default, no matter what. I think that is not a good approach. I think, in fact, that only does a disservice to indie developers, and I'll explain why. If a user interface is ugly, I shouldn't have to sugarcoat the truth just because it comes from an indie developer. Because I think it's important to keep in mind that the market, the reason why indie developers can sell their software is because there's people that are not just part of the Mac Stories team that open the App Store and buy apps and use their money to purchase apps and subscriptions and in-app purchases and whatever. There's regular people who don't care about whether indie developers, they know each other, whether they're friends or not, whether they go to the same conferences or not. They absolutely have no idea. They see something, they decide whether it looks good enough, whether it's ugly or not, whether it does, whether it has the functionalities that they're looking for, and then they choose with their wallets to spend money or not. So I think I would do a disservice to indie developers if I defended them no matter what, just because of their indie status. And I think I would do a disservice to my readers if I and my listeners, if I never called out something as ugly or not useful enough just because it comes from an indie developer. I don't think I don't think we should be using this this sort of this this layer of you know let's all love each other let's all support each other to forget about you know a product's flaws or you know the the things the features that are missing from a product it's not a mindset that i think works well in 2020 i think maybe there was an argument to be made for this sort of approach 10 years ago but i think the sad and you know maybe harsh truth of the situation is that the app store is a huge market and regular people who don't read Mac stories, who don't listen to this show, open the app store and judge your app based on a few screenshots. And so last week's segment was very much based on the same premise. I'm just looking for something. I open the app store. I search for what I'm looking for. And here are the results. And if I think something is ugly, I should be able to call it, a, you know, Call it out as such. Now, maybe we were, you know, maybe we got carried away by that. But the email that we got saying, and I'm not, you know, basically the, the extent was, I'm really disappointed in you all because you made fun of indie developers. Well, we didn't make fun of indie developers. We made fun of ugly apps and ugly user interfaces. And I think there's a, you know, this is something that I wanted to explain because, as I said, I have been a supporter of indie developers for the past decade. But I also don't think just because somebody says I'm an indie, then I should be, you know, I, I should be ashamed of myself for criticizing their product. Does it make sense? <laughs> sure does. I agree with you. So that was my that was my uh Update for you, Stephen. Uh, also, some follow-up about something else that I... Actually, this is uh, something that I did get wrong, and I apologize, but we got a lot of interesting technical details about this. So last week, we um, talked about... we answered. I answered a question about whether it was going to be possible for the new native pointer in iPadOS 13.4 
to be used for all kinds of games on the iPad. And I, and I said, uh, I don't see why not, because all the APIs are there. Now, thanks to friend of the show, Steve Chatton-Smith, I got a series of messages that explain why it is not possible with the current APIs to have all kinds of games on iPad with trackpad integration. And if Steve doesn't mind, I'm going to go through some of these messages that I saved uh, because he was kind enough to send me uh, an explanation a few days ago. Basically, what he's saying is that a game that uses the mouse for camera input, like a first-person shooter game uh, or any other kind of first-person game, uh, needs to be able to capture the cursor, of course. And capturing the cursor means this is this gets real complicated real fast. Um, basically, the the X and Y movements of the cursor uh, they come in as relative movements, not as like absolute positioning of the cursor on screen, and you need to be able to capture that relative movement movement um, to be able to do like a first person perspective, right? Um, otherwise, like if you move the cursor too far and you hit the edge of the screen, you hit the home indicator, for example, and it's totally not going to work because it's like going to snap your perspective and it's, it's not going to work in a first person uh, type of experience. Now... Um, I am doing a terrible job at explaining this. It's a very technical motivation that, that, you know, why these games do not support the cursor. But basically, my understanding as a, as a person who does not know what it means exactly in, you know, because I'm not a game programmer, um, is that only certain types of games are possible like now, like things where you point and click essentially, like a strategy game or like a puzzle game, like a point and click adventure game. But... It's like the view wouldn't be able to lock itself to the movement of the cursor. It can only, it can only really take what's what the result of the movement is, right. as opposed to like the consistent tracking. Right. Of it. So like the 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 constant relative tracking of the cursor that's not possible. But if you just move the pointer around and click at a exact position on the screen that's going to work so i'm thinking like if you have a, a map for a strategy game or if you have like a point and click adventure you move the cursor and you click and it works but if you're playing like a, i don't know let's say that you want to play what's the first person uh, call of duty on your ipad the constant relative tracking of the cursor so like if you move the mouse then your head turns to the left that's not supported right now because it it the API does not support that kind of relative tracking. That was my understanding of it. So uh, that's too bad, really, because I I really think this should be possible. So maybe it's going to be part of the API announcements at WWDC. Maybe not. We'll see. But I think it should be possible. Um, I was sad to hear that. Yeah, they made a lot of changes in six months, right? Like cursor support went a long way in a short period of time. There's nothing to say it can't continue to keep moving forward. Yeah, so that was uh, that was follow up, Stephen. We're all done here. Thank you for providing follow up this week, and uh, well, I guess really thanks to yes. Steve John Smith. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> thanks, buddy. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Pingdom from Solar Winds. Today's internet users, they, we, they, we, everyone expects fast web experiences. No matter how good your content may be or how effective your marketing is. People are just going to bounce. They're going to leave your website if it's loading too slowly. 
With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experiences so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website often differs depending on the browser, device, and platform they're using. So you want to identify how visitors are experiencing your site so you can make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built to scale, meaning you can monitor millions of paid views without compromising your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code CONNECTED at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for the support of this show and RelayFM. So Federico, as part of your uh, coverage over on Max Stories last week of the 10 anniversary of the iPad shipping to customers, uh, you wrote an article that we, we, we referenced at the end of the episode last week about your modular iPad, so the many ways in which you use your iPad. I refer to these as teaching yes. hacks, okay. personally, because uh, a lot of these things are... <laughs> Uh, weird right like in good ways like we all know ever listen to this show know all about hashtag mm-hmm. kickstands you're big on the kickstands kickstand mania uh, i kind of wanted to just touch on a few areas from this having looked read over the article because there's a couple of things that mirror with my setup and things that i wanted to uh right. query you on i think the first is like the eye visor so like you uh i am a big fan still of the moshi eye visor which is the matte screen protector that we both have on our ipads um, but I did want to note that, so when I got my new iPad and set it up, I did recognize how much more vivid and bright the screen is mm. without it, but I do still prefer it with the screen protector on, if that makes sense. Like, I prefer the matte look, because I don't like to have the reflections, and it looks nicer, but the screen is, like, quote-unquote better without it, right? Yeah, it's uh, you you do get some... You know, some image quality loss uh but i think it's mm-hmm. i thought that the paper like uh was doing worse in this regard oh paper like is is definitely worse the quality loss with the eye visor is not as bad as the paper like i do see of course like when i when i use an ipad without the screen protector i do see that the, the screen is much brighter and like the colors are a bit more vivid but i think it's a good compromise like if i had to choose like do you want to use your ipad without a screen protector or the paper like then i would have said nah i'm just going to use the ipad with uh, without the screen protector but between the ipad sort of like naked with no protector and the moshi eye visor i think well if i'm going to get a matte display I think the, the you know the image quality loss is not that bad, so it's a compromise that I'm willing to accept. But yes, I agree with you. Like when you take it off, you can see that it's brighter and the colors are like they, they just pop more. Yeah, it's just I've been using it for long enough that when I had the new screen, it was yeah. like wow, okay, yeah, look at you right? Like it was just like a, a thing that was different. Uh, you also talk a lot about your external display. Okay. And I wondered, how often do you actually use the external display? Like on a daily basis, a weekly basis, how much are you using your LG display with your iPad? Oh, every day. Yeah. Like for most of the time that you're using your iPad or no? When I'm working, especially since the trackpad came out, um, the trackpad support came out, um, 
when I'm working on mm-hmm. the iPad, I only work uh, with the external display now. Okay, and I've seen that's changed a yeah. lot since the trackpad support, right? Because it was not a no. great solution. No, it used really to be like it used before. to be every once in a while I would work at the with the external display, but now it's like it's the new default. And every once in a while mm. I work with just the iPad, so it's really the opposite of what it used to be. And you showed that you use the clear look stand like I do. Why do you choose to use the OG display instead of just using it in the clear look stand all the time? Uh, sometimes I cannot. Uh, work in the bedroom uh, because maybe Sylvia is resting or I just want to just want to like a change of scenery or I got to keep an eye on the dogs Mm -hmm. or whatever and in that case I use the stand because if I'm working at the kitchen table I want it to be higher you know with the stand Mm. Yeah, but you find the the like the was it like the larger screen is that why you would want to why you would use the OG though like is that why you would prefer to use that? Uh, yeah, also okay. because like if I'm like in the bedroom I can concentrate a little more. Uh it's easier for me to sort of isolate mm. myself. With the, the screen is also bigger and it's just better for my eyesight in general. Yeah. Cursor support is more than we expected. Like that, that really exploded. Like from when it was introduced to what we have now, it's a like six month gap. It's so much more than we expected, and like wow, like, you know, blown away. Do you think that's going to happen for external monitors? Like, do you think there's going to be expanded support? Like, is that really yeah, going to happen? So. I think it's going. I think it's going to happen because all the PCs are in place at this point. Um, if you if you consider. Like Apple is the sort of company that likes to introduce new features by, and this is something that I actually write about in the story. They like to introduce new software features based on other, like existing features that they shipped before. It's sort of like this, um, this, this, this iterative process of like an API allows developers to ship a new feature and that feature is actually going to be at the foundation of another one next year. So if you look, for example, at the um, what we have now, we have this pointer integration. So you have a system-wide pointer that you can use to interact with elements, with UI elements, any UI element, without touching the screen. And then we have the UI scene API, uh, which is uh, the technology at the foundation of multi-window multi on iPad. Um, so it used to be that before iPadOS... Um, apps could only offer a single window, uh, but now it, a developer can actually um, support multiple scenes, and each scene can be contained within its own window. So the theory would be that for Apple to support external displays, they would allow uh, the user to say, okay, take one window and put it on an external display. And the developer would have the controls to say, well, this scene this window still running on the iPad, so offers these kinds of controls, this different scene, so you have that separation right between scenes, this different scene is actually running on an external display, which means I can do things, you know, I can support different interactions because I know a pointer is going to be used. And now you have a pointer that you can move across, you know, between the iPad and an external display. So you have all these technological pieces that can be at the foundation of that functionality and i really think it's going to happen because 
I would have been like I would have said if you asked me before thirteen point four, I would have said yeah maybe in the future you know maybe in a couple of years the iPad is gonna properly support external displays. But now I think we've seen you know besides the things that I've been writing about, we've seen all kinds of setups. You know if you if you visit Reddit uh, the, the iPad community or if you you know there's always you know that popular article of somebody using the iPad in some interesting ways. I think a lot of iPad Pro users have this kind of setup now, and I think Apple knows, you know, you know that they're looking at what the community is doing. They pay attention. And considering that all the, you know, now that we have multi-window, it's in there, it's in place, and now we have the system-wide pointer, I think I wouldn't be surprised if it happens this year rather than 20. 21 or 2022 i think the timeline for that suddenly accelerated a lot because of the pointer so uh, i think it's gonna happen i'm very optimistic about it yeah see i wonder about this feature like i would like it myself because i just always want more but i just think that like the i would be intrigued to see like if apple do go down this route how they sell it to people like is the reason you would want to do it you know because i think it's like a maybe a more complicated thing to cohesively explain than trackpad like cursor support like that is just like why well, everyone wants that you know like it's like a much easier like oh you, you like trackpads you're used to trackpads well then just go ahead and and use one where like an external monitor is i think a little bit yeah it needs a more like kind of cohesive reason to exist for a lot of people and i would be intrigued to see how they would explain it in, in, a, in a way that would make people excited who don't already know why it would be good for them, you know? Well, I feel like the in that case, the you know, the simplest explanation is just, it's going to be what it is. Like, if you have an iPad, you can work on the, on the go, and when you arrive at home, you can dock it in, and you can still use it with a trackpad, or you can touch the screen, and you can put stuff on an external display. I don't think they need to have any mm. any fancy narrative for just like uh, you know they did the pointer right and of course it's it's optimized for the iPad and it's different in a bunch of ways from from the Mac but at the end of the day it's still a pointer you can still control stuff they did reinvent some of the interactions for the pointer but it's still a pointer the trackpad came with a I mean it's not here yet but like a whiz bang new sure. product right. So, like, if you hadn't been able to conceive of why you would want it, look at this keyboard. Look how amazing it looks. And I would love to see Apple debut a new product alongside that, right? Like, oh, we now have a display that doesn't cost (laughs) $6,000. And we also have a solution, right, to to plug it in really easily, you know? Like, I I would love that. I, I... I don't know if they would do it, but I hope that they would, you know, like like a, like an Apple-made docking solution. It's like something simple, not something wild, right? But just like this this mythical dock that's been USB-C, a Thunderbolt dock that's been like around forever. Like I would love, I would love them to do something like that to help cohesively tell the story into for, for other people. And also because if Apple did do this, mm-hmm. we would all want... yeah that anyway right like if, if they were like oh we've done this it'd be like okay i now want a monitor that looks like my ipad display that is the you know can easily support my ipad display in full resolution and so i don't have to have these like trail of cables all over the place the only potential issues issue for not supporting external displays this year i think 
the multitasking UI on iPad needs to change to support that sort of a additional layer of window management. Definitely. And I don't know if if we're going to see multitasking changes on iPad this year. So that's one of the potential issues with, you know, let's wait until next year before we roll out support for external displays. Because I don't think the current system, the current UI is going to scale to that type of interaction. Has your shift to using your iPad in a more desktop-like environment, has that made you reconsider the size iPad you have? You've got the 12.9, but would you consider a smaller one if... Your primary use now no, is this? I've seen that article on the Sweet Setup about, you know, now that we have uh, trackpads, let's <laughs> all... No, it's a perspective that I get. It's a... No, it's good. I just love the way you say, ah, I've seen these people and their iPads. I mentioned this because our, our, like our Ryan was like, hey, this, this article from the Sweet Setup is making me reconsider the 11-inch iPad Pro now that I can use a trackpad. And I strongly disagree with that notion because I always want the biggest iPad possible. Like, yes, I know that I'm going to have a big UI and a big screen on an external monitor, but that's the whole point of my setup is that when I just take the iPad and leave, it's still big enough for me to work in a comfortable way. Because I like the basic truth of the matter does not change. I don't want to be stuck at a desk forever. I just want to have the option. And that's why the article is called Modular, because it supports like different modes and has this sort of modularity built in. Like you add a display, sure. You add a keyboard, sure. But at its core, it's still an iPad. And because I want to make sure that I can still use it as an iPad, for me, that means having the biggest iPad possible because I need to see, you know, my big windows and my big text because I'm an old person now and my eyesight is bad. And you love your big windows. I love my big windows, (laughs) right? I get the sentiment. I know that a bunch of people will now follow that advice, but it does not apply to me. Mm. I still think that's the best iPad, the 11, for most people. It still is the best mm-hmm. iPad for most people. Um, I, you know, I just say I, I prefer to use on a daily basis the 12.9, but you've got to have a reason, I think, to, to that you, you know, you've got to know. I always say this to people. I don't know if you agree, Federico, but like, you know if you yes. want the big one. If you don't know you want the big one, then get the small one. Okay. It's good I think, advice. I, th- I think I think it's pretty I think it's pretty simple cuz like they're not that different in size anymore, but they feel very different. If you're asking if you're asking whether you should get the 12.9, that it means you should buy the 11. Hey, that's good. I like that. That's even better than, than the way I say it. I might steal that. And plus, these things might get even heavier when we start putting these keyboards on them, mm-hmm. right? Am I right? Thanks, mm-hmm. Amazon. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? This is what I heard now. Yeah, so, so let me talk through this. So Amazon has the Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro available for pre-order. Yeah, who knows how or why that's that's possible. Apparently, it's been up for several days, and a bunch of people just noticed it <laughs> last night. And Federico, you pointed out that these product pages had the weight mm-hmm. for the new keyboards. There's a lot of questions in this, but the, the pages state for the 11-inch, 1.81 pounds or 822 grams, and then 2.41 pounds or 1,093 grams for the 12.9-inch model. It is unknown if that includes the weight of the iPad. It includes the weight of the box. Like, everyone has their own... It definitely doesn't include the weight of the iPad. That is a wild theory. I right? don't like. Yeah, I don't hmm. think it does until I actually did the math. And if you include the iPad, then it's about the same step up in weight we saw from the 
old key- smart keyboards to the current <laughs> oh, no. folio. It's like, who knows? It could be. Who could knows? Be Mike, actually. Could be. Mm. Um, ah, that doesn't make any sense to me, though. Like, why? It's more likely to include, I mean, Amazon is a logistics company. Like, what they have is the weight of the keyboard in a box. Maybe it just sure. includes and, the box. And, and in that case, it's hard to nail down what the what these would weigh unless you had those boxes mm-hmm. on hand. And you, Anyways, the exact numbers aren't important. I was either going to read an hour of the news or I was going to spend an hour like doing math about grams. It's like, I'm going to do mm-hmm. math about grams and talk about iPad keyboard cases. So part of it is a fun distraction. But I, there's no doubt that these things are going to be heavier. And what's so interesting to me is Apple has not told anyone what the weights are, I th- like including press who have asked, like, no word. Whether it's, you know, these numbers that are in this article that I wrote or some other numbers, I think it's safe to say it's going to increase. And I just wonder, especially on the 12.9 inch model, like you're going to be in MacBook Pro territory real quick with the weight. And uh, I don't think that's a big deal, but I just think it's really interesting that we just don't know for something that's going to be coming out, you know, in three to six weeks. My, if I was going to like put my money on the table, I would say that these keyboards will weigh very close to the weight of their respective iPads. So you, you would effectively be, be doubling. Mm. Yeah. And the, the iPads now, they, uh, those weights are, I thought I read it in the article. Maybe I didn't. Those weights are on the website though. And it's, um, doubling it seems fair to me. I think when you go over that line, it's like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> what are y'all doing? So like the 12.9 is uh, 641 grams. Okay. And the uh, 11 inch is 471 grams. I think it'll be close. I think a lot of people, and this is being said in the chat room, and it goes to your point earlier about like a docking station, there are going to be, I think, a lot of people that maybe just use this on their desk because of the way, if it does work the way that video shows and we have like a two second yeah. clip, but like if it really stays in place when you take the iPad off of it, then like, yeah, like you could totally see how it's just on your desk. And then when you go somewhere, you just slip it in your bag and leave the keyboard behind. So, so who knows? It's got to have some amount of weight. So that's all possible. But uh, it's just, it was just like an interesting detail that Amazon shared. It's like, we don't really know what it means. But this is what it could mean. It's a fun way to spend an evening. I think what we know, like what this has shown us, is what we already knew, which is these things are heavy. Yes. And they're heavier than the smart mm. keyboards. Yeah. Which, you know, we knew that, but now, well, we, we assumed it, right? Um, because physics and stuff, but, you know, we now have an idea that it is going to be that way. But I just think, like, so I don't think, I think this thing will be heavy. I think it has to be heavy to allow for the the balance, right? Because you don't want this whole thing to topple over on its back every time you touch the screen. Um, And I don't think it's a problem because it will be about the weight of like a laptop at that point, which I think is perfectly fine because that's its use case. You know, like Mm -hmm. you use it like you would use a laptop. And at that point, it doesn't matter that it's the weight of a laptop. And also in the same vein of like if you are able to do what, what Apple have shown, which is that you can just pick this thing up, it can't weigh a ton less than the thing that's it, that it's detaching from because otherwise you, the force that you apply to the iPad, you just pick it up every time. Mm-hmm. So it has to have some heft to it. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. So uh, we'll, we'll know soon enough, I guess, right? Like it's going to be coming in in May at some point. May 30th. It's coming at the end of the month. <laughs> My question here is just how much will these things be back-ordered? when they eventually come out and it's gonna be a nightmare mm-hmm. and how long will i have to wait before i get 
from the Italian Apple Store a Magic Keyboard in the US English layout. Because that's what I got to do. Like 2024. <laughs> it's going to be a long time. I'm going to get it next year for sure. <laughs> uh... <laughs> these things are going to be difficult. These things are going to be difficult, right? Like, you know, my hope would be that my hope would be that they decided to just go for May so it wouldn't be, right? So, like, that would be, like, pretty available. But I don't think that's the case. I think that this is going to be a pretty constrained product. Yep. John like, Voorhees. Like every other product before it. John Voorhees is going to be shipping you one. Um, that's what's going to happen. He, yeah. Well, he cannot leave the house. So, I don't want to... Well, that's he true. drove through a snowstorm once before, right? Like, the man will go to wild lengths yeah, here. That's, but also, mm, I would feel really bad about, you know, tasking John with leaving the house right now just to ship me a magic keyboard. But, I mean, it's... it's oh, mm. So, we have learned, we've learned the limit. So, pandemic, no. Blizzard, oh, yes. Blizzard's fine. The man lives in Chicago. Blizzard's He's used fine. to it. Uh, okay. Pandemic, though, it's it's a hard one. It's I gotta think about it. It's a hard compare. It's a tough compare for you that one. Probably global pandemic is where I draw the line, but I'm not totally sure <laughs> at this point. It's a good place to draw a line, like you know, like to, it's good to have lines drawn. I mean, what's more extreme? If this isn't it, where is the line? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, maybe next month is gonna the situation is gonna be better, and you know you can put on a mask, bunch of gloves, and protective gear, yeah, and go and a go bunch to the of gloves. That's good. Bunch of gloves. <laughs> yeah, you want you want Not multiple gloves, um, and go to the UPS store for me. But no, I'm just gonna yeah. no, you know, I just I'm just gonna order from the Italian Apple Store, and worst case scenario, I'm gonna order two. One with the Italian layout, which I guess is going to be, you know, the stock for that in Italy is going to be easier to manage. Sure. And then I will just wait for the US yep. English one because I know that ordering like international layouts from the uh, Italian Apple store always has a longer um, shipping time. So it's fine. I'll probably order two of them and draw the line a global pandemic in regards to John Voorhees. I have a funny, oh, it's like a, it's not like haha, but like a weird little thing that I realized when I got my new iPad. That I have been using my iPad's keyboard in the American layout, keyboard layout, for I don't know how long. Because I realized when I set up my new iPad, I was like, oh, it's the actual return key. Hmm. Like the one that I'm used to. <laughs> and I have no idea how long I had been using it otherwise. Or why? Hmm. But that's the thing that's happened to me. So now my keyboard is, is like a little bit different than it was before. And it was very, it's very confusing and refreshing at yeah. the same time. It's very strange. Yeah. It's one of. And I assume there must have been some reason, some like accessory or something, right? That like made me do it. And then because I remember the smart keyboard, I had it in American layout because it was all you could get. And I bet I said it then, like when I got the smart, the original smart keyboard, and like how many ever iPads ago it, that was. And I set it up and then just left it and then just ignored it because I use I so infrequently use the software keyboard that I wouldn't even notice it anyway. So. Yeah, the only this is one of the only instances where I have to agree with Casey Liss, um, you know, American exceptionalism angle. It is really a great layout, the U.S. English one. Uh, the UK, the British English layout's great, I, and we have the extra return, like extra size in that return key, big chunky return key. I love my big yeah, return key. Yeah, but I do prefer the, the American <laughs> one in this case. I do prefer the American one. 
Have you used the British I, layout? I have, and I believe that in addition to the return key, there was also another difference for me. Uh, why don't we do the outbreak? And I'm going to confirm real quick because I, I believe that I had an opinion, but I have forgotten that opinion. I just need to... <laughs> One of the great things about the British layout is we have like just a key that you press to get the pound symbol, the hashtag symbol. We don't have to do some weird thing to the number three. Let me remember my opinion and I will confirm okay. it to you again. Great. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea with unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. So think about that project you've been wanting to start, and now may be a really good time to do that. Think about all the components you may need. You may need a blog or a podcast or a gallery, an online store. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of that stuff all under one roof. And you don't have to become some sort of server admin, installing stuff or worrying about patches. Squarespace has all that covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. One of the nice features about Squarespace uh, I just helped somebody with is a uh, like a kind of an alert window. You know, like say that you are closed temporarily or you have some sort of special deal running. So doing that sort of like, hey, I'm going to slide in from the bottom with some text, that can be kind of janky on other platforms. In a Squarespace, it was just super easy to do, and you can customize the look of it to match all really easy. Squarespace plans start just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com connected. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code CONNECTED to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash connected and the code CONNECTED to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So I believe I was of the opinion that the U.S. English keyboard layout was preferable personally speaking to the uk one because due to the smaller shape of the return key the us layout has a backslash key next to the square brackets which i found useful for writing code on my ipad for like escaping things in javascript so that's why there's a backslash and a pipe character next to the square brackets and curly brackets on the right side of the keyboard. Right, but there's a backslash key on the left-hand side. Some, well, I guess it depends on the keyboard. All right, fine. That was why. And I thought, you know, especially with like fine. curly brackets and, and square brackets, it was handy to have the, back, the backslash in there. I mean, on a lot of keyboards, though, there's a backslash on the left-hand side by the, next to the left shift, and the left shift is smaller. I don't know how Apple's software keyboard does it on, off the top of my head. There is it. There is a backslash key. I know that the, there is keyboard. one, but I just preferred the like. Yeah, I just I, liked it better. Like it's one of the few things that I like <laughs> better, like about America. I don't like this. That's certainly a lot to think about. Let's move on, though. Underscore David Smith has a new app called WatchSmith. Uh, Federico, do you want to explain what this app does? Sure. Uh, you can watch David. Um, it's a live stream app. It's called WatchSmith. It's a live cam. Uh, it's called like how you get those animal zoo cams. Yeah, it's like if you want to watch how developers work in the wild. It's, it's like uh... oh, he's eating. Oh, so cute. He's <laughs> sleeping under the tree. 
It's literally in the name. You watch Smith. Oh, he's got two Apple Watches on and he's walking around in circles. Yeah, and when, especially during this global pandemic time, uh, we could all use, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, tune in and watch Smith uh, do his things. You feel like you're working with them. It really brings nice. you closer to the, you know, to the to the to the life of an indie developer. Um, hey, you guys know what the most popular webcam is for zoos right now? The Pandemic camera. Mm. Oh my god! Get out of here! Uh, so we have another sponsor for this episode. Could probably wrap it <laughs> yeah. up here. Uh, my thanks go to. Let's see. <laughs> Ball and branch. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm afraid uh, Stephen ruined the show. The chat room is very upset with me. Everyone's upset with you. You gotta understand, Stephen. He's a, uh. he's a he's a father, and he feels compelled to share this. Uh, yeah. Oh God, I actually feel like not good now. Yeah, the the humor is just so Ooh. overwhelming to you. Oh my god! All right, right. watch Smith. Watch Tell me. us about this magic. I believe this used to be called, uh, you know, when David was talking about this idea with his uh, close friends, a project Geneva. Uh, he also mentioned that on podcasts. So the idea behind Watch Smith, which is the official name, is now out on the App Store. Is it's a it's a utility that lets you design your own Apple Watch complications. So yeah. You can choose from different types of complications. I believe 37 types of complications are supported across different uh, watch faces. So not all watch faces are supported at the moment, but there's a really great selection of options like for the infograph and the infograph modular, um, the, the what's it called, the big one, the x-ray watch face. Like there, there's some choice in there. And you can create your own custom complications uh, choosing from different types of complications. So like the smaller circular ones or the ones that go like in an angle of the display, the big, um, for example, in the infograph modular phase, you can you can create the, the, the big middle one. Um, and what you can do, so this is like a design, in a way it's like a design app in that you can go in there and choose your watch face and choose your complication and, and design it yourself. So you choose the type of complication you choose the data source. Like, do you want this to be a date complication? Or do you want this to be a weather complication? Or should it be about your activity? Or about your uh, calendar? And then you can choose the font. And then you can choose the style. And then you can choose the color. So you actually do create your own custom complications, choosing from a set of supported types, choosing from a set of data sources. You put it all together, you save it, then you go to the watch app, uh, the app, the, the 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 Apple Watch app to customize your watch, and you choose your watch face, and you select uh, WatchSmith, and there you go. You have your custom complication installed. It is really incredible, I think, what David has been able to do here. But in addition to the customization of of the whole thing, like uh, again, multiple fonts, multiple colors, multiple data sources, multiple layouts. The really impressive part is that WatchSmith also supports scheduling complications for different times of the day. So this is an API that I believe Apple launched a couple of years ago. 
and it used to be limited to like uh, cards in the Siri watch face, like you could show different cards at different times of the day. Then last year, I think uh, developer um, Aaron Pierce was first to do this sort of feature with Home Run, which is a HomeKit utility for the watch that lets you show different HomeKit complications at different times of the day. The idea being that maybe in the morning you want to turn on your coffee, your espresso, your espresso machine, and maybe in the evening you want to have a button to turn off your lights. This is a similar idea, but done in a much more extensive way in WatchSmith. Uh, you can schedule up to how many hours in a day? 24? Yeah, 24. So I guess you can schedule 24 complications in WatchSmith. Um, each can 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 take up to uh, an entire hour block. There's a, an analog clock UI that actually lets you see like from, I don't know, from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. show this complication. At 2 p.m. until 6 p.m. automatically cycle to this other complication. And they can actually manage all the complications that you want to see appear on your watch face automatically without you having to change them at different times of the day. It is very clever. Very I don't know, clever. how do you guys feel about it? I'm very impressed by what David did here. So I think that... Uh, can I just talk about this as like a watch sure. fan? Because this is what I like about this application. So I've been talking with Dave for a while about this because I wanted to give my input on like, here are some things that I want. Because the thing that frustrates me about Apple's watch faces is like that I can't customize them the way that I want to for visual reasons, right? I don't necessarily want all of the computer stuff my watch can do. Like I don't I don't I don't really want my calendar on my watch face, neither do I want my to do app there anymore. I just don't want that sort of stuff anymore on my watch, right? I will go into the apps or get notifications if I'm wearing the watch for this stuff. But what I do want more of is smart things that my watch can do because it's connected to the internet and this is what WatchSmith allows me to have. So when I'm using WatchSmith, I use one of the watch faces. Um, I, either use, I either use California or there's another one that I don't remember the name of, but it's like one of the more simple ones. And it has two spots or Meridian, I think it's called, right? It has like three spots on it or something. But the, the, the ones that I like, I like to have the day of the week indicator where it's just like uh, the abbreviations for each day in a little circle and it just points to which one it is i just think it's really pretty plus i like that you can choose not only the font but what the little indicator looks like like the the little hand which points you can choose what you want it to look like which i like because it's the visual stuff that i want but i, I also just i really like the, the like the moon phase ones right so you can choose I want to get the actual name of it because I asked specifically for this one and uh, I don't want to get the name wrong. Uh, it is called Classic Moon Phase. So this is the idea of like through a day you can see the moon rise mm -hmm. and, and go down again. Like it, it, you see this sort of stuff a lot on, on like traditional watches. And I wanted that on the Apple Watch and I couldn't find any way to get it. But I could find, but they've made it and put it in this app. And I think it's great that I can have these more traditional 
watch elements on my Apple Watch for visual stuff, as well as being able to have smarter things like much nicer uh, complication designs for temperature things or to be able to have a battery indicator if I want, which is a number, but I can choose the color and the font for it. Like I like that I can do that because it's enabling me to do something which I like, which is to choose a watch, right, when I'm choosing real watches, that fit my design tastes, right, but then can also be changed like a computer watch should be able to be changed. Like it allows for more configuration, but without sacrificing design. Like the the app itself, as Federico was alluding to, is it gets complicated because there's lots of options. But to get the true personalization, that's what you want, right? Like I want to be able to choose the font and the color and what the the actual hand looks like itself so I can get it to look exactly the way that I want. One other thing that Dave does with this app, which must have been incredibly difficult to do, but I love it because it's something I hate about the Apple Watch, is the complications adjust so you can still see them if the hand is over them. How? (laughs) So he moves the UI around with incredibly complicated math and knowing the way that the design of the watch works, right? Like that's the only way you can make this work, which is what Dave did. Because I hate that the Apple Watch, the hands, cover the complications. This shouldn't happen. That is a thing that happens on real watches because it's physical. Mm -hmm. There are things that Apple does sometimes, which I hate about the Apple Watch design, where they mirror the physical into the digital world when that is not necessary, right? Um, And so I love that Dave did this because that's the way that, that all complications should work. So what I like about this app, which is different to what most people like about this app, I like that it bridges traditional watches and the Apple Watch. So when I'm wearing the Apple Watch, I can have it look more like a watch, which is what I want. And then, but you can go into many realms and have your calendar there in different ways and all that kind of stuff. And if you're going to do that, I think that there should be an ability, which Watchsmith allows, to allow you to customize it very heavily because you are wearing it on your wrist. Like, I think that this, this app really, for me, only shows more the fact that Apple has not done enough with customization of the Apple Watch, because then you do start running things that I find frustrating, where it's like, I want to use this watch face now, but I can only use this type of complication, right? And I can't use all, I can't have multiple complications of the same type on this watch face. It's like, why? Mm -hmm. Why can't I have two of these little circle ones on there? Oh no, because you have to have this circle one and this big circle one. It's like, why Apple? Why why is it this way? Like these are the things that like continue to be frustrating to me and I hope that we see more. But I think that Dave has done a great job. It is also worth noting that underscore David Smith is a close personal friend of all of ours, but this is a very, very good application. Mm -hmm. So that's what I wanted to say. I mean, in, in the past, if you wanted to mimic this, you could have multiple watch faces set up, right? So if you wanted one with complications for work, like your meetings and your to-do list, and then when you got home, you just wanted, you know, sunset time and the weather, you could do that, but then you were juggling watch faces. And what's great about this is that it it means that your watch face can change over the course of a day without you having to fiddle with it or remember. And I mean, I, I said this in my blog post, and I really mean it. I don't think there's anyone outside of Apple who understands watchOS development 
as much as underscore. Like he is pushing this thing way further than most developers are. And I think Apple should pay attention to that. And and not I'm not saying I want my friends app to be Sherlocked, but boy, this stuff should be in the system by this point. I mean, the watch is coming up on five years old. And it's like, we're still stuck with so many of the original assumptions that Apple made about it. And it feels stagnant in a lot of areas because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also want to cut out some of the details that I really love about WatchSmith. Um, by far, my favorite feature is the support for multiple time zones, which is part of the subscription model that we should also mention. Like, if you want to, uh, you can download WatchSmith for free, but some of the complications, because they're based on data sources that require, like, that ever, like a server component that require yeah. uh, WatchSmith. <laughs> Dark sky. <laughs> right. Uh, the weather is part of that. Time zones are also part of that. Um, uh, the app you can subscribe to get all the complication types at two dollars a month, so one ninety nine a month or nineteen ninety nine a year. Uh, right now, I'm subscribed uh, monthly, but I'm probably gonna switch to annually at some point. Um, and I did subscribe because of the time zone support. So the idea would be that I can check on multiple time zones at once in the WatchSmith app. But the really impressive part is that I can see multiple time zones at a glance in a complication. So with the info, I believe it's called the infograph modular, this one. Yeah, the infograph modular. The big complication in the middle of the screen is like a timeline. So I put a timeline that shows me um, like different time zones with their abbreviations. Uh, so, for example, New York City, Rome, Chicago, and Cupertino are the ones that I should add London because of Mike as well. Um, Hello. Yes. I have Rome in all of my things okay, because I of will, you, so I think it's only I will fair. add London as well. So now I see like this horizontal wow. timeline of different time zones around the world, which is really, really excellent. Uh, but I'm also considering the weather, and I see by following the new WatchSmith app um, account on Twitter, I see that David has been uh, tweeting about a new weather complication style that's like a boxy uh, graph style, which I really like. So... Uh, I guess that's uh, that about sums up my my feelings on this. It's gonna be so much fun to play around, if especially for like somebody like me who loves to tweak things and play around with different settings. Like this is heaven for you because you can choose literally everything about the app. And I'm gonna be spending yeah. so much time like changing fonts and colors and choosing different settings. I saw somewhere again on Twitter in a reply to somebody else that David suggested um, supporting. Any arbitrary um, source uh, of JSON data, so like a URL that points you to some um, data in the JSON format, and I'm like my brain is already thinking about all the different things that I could do with like Zapier and and like you know mm-hmm. exposing like custom uh, data over uh, a URL and and turning that into a complication in in. Uh, watch me. That would be incredible. So, if I'm going to wear a computer, exactly, I want it to be very customizable. Exactly. That's so, what I want. Because if I, you know, it's never going to look good as watches that I could choose for the same amount of money. And the reason for that is not that the Apple Watch is ugly; is that there are lots and lots and lots of decisions that you can make about a watch that you want. And Apple sells you one style, right? You can get it in different 
finishes, but it's one physical style, which might not necessarily be the style you would choose, given the same amount of money to go and buy a watch. So if I'm going to wear this this one design, I want it to be the best that a computer watch can be, which is let me choose everything. Right. And, and I think that's this is what David is starting to allow with this application. It's 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 very impressive. We have some iOS 14 home screen rumors. Uh, iOS 14 still <laughs> floating about there somewhere. So this is on uh, 9 to 5 Mac and it comes from a couple of different sources. Um, but we have some home screen appearance stuff, some collection stuff. Mike, do you want to walk us through this? Yeah, so there's been a couple of things going on here. Um, it, it, 9 to 5 Mac are reporting on this. It came from a third-party source, uh, a Twitter user, goes by the name Donglebook Pro, which I appreciate, but they said that it corroborates information that, that they had found out. So breaking down uh, the current existing wallpaper types into collections. So one called Classic Stripes, one called Earth and Moon, and one called Flowers. These are the ones that Apple already make. And, you know, you might imagine that you would want to do that because Apple is potentially looking at third-party packs, if you remember that rumor from previously. So if you were to install, like, source other sources for wallpapers, you might want to have collections already built in so they can plug into that area. Um, Apple would also look like that they are going to be expanding to... Uh, different appearance options so that you could choose just basic colors or basic dynamic wallpapers or smart gradients as an option for the home screen. So you would have to be able to choose just basic colors or I like the idea of a gradient um, and smart gradient I'm sure would mean would, would easily move between light and dark mode. That's what I expect that's doing, right? That, did that make sense to you guys? I guess so, yeah. Right, like I don't know what else would be smart about a gradient. <laughs> like it's, I don't know how smart you can make them. Um, the report goes on to say we can say that Apple is working to provide real widgets on the iPhone and iPad home screen for the first time. Instead of pinned widgets like an iPad OS 13, the new widgets on iOS 14 could be moved around just like any app icon. So. The idea of widgets on the home screen like they are on Android that we've thought about and spoke about and wanted for a long time seems like it may actually be coming to iOS 14. But like any good uh, home screen, uh, like any good iOS rumor, the report does go on to say, but of course, this could be scrapped at any time. Um, I saw a, a, a concept floating around by Parker Ortolani showing what this could look like. Uh, which and I like the way this looked. It, you know, it's kind of like a blending between. Uh, basically, what Parker has created is a selection of widget designs based on existing widgets that look like they belong on an iPhone home screen because they're basically two or three or four app icons in size just smushed together. Which I think this this kind of design would work well. This did make me think. I don't know about you guys. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of concepts, more concepts than ever these days. It's that time of the year, and uh... no, just in general. I mean, maybe maybe UI designers are at home; they got a bit of extra time on their hands. You know, people are making concepts. There's that, and I think it's also much easier than before because we have so many new design tools to actually make a credible uh, replica of of, uh, of an iOS device. But yeah, I like the idea of widgets. Right, I, 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 done well, done tastefully. This could be really nice. They should do it. 
They should do it. They should allow for uh, multiple widget sizes. I believe we've seen this in, in the Parker's um, mockups, by the way, are really good. It's not the first time that I've seen Parker's name um, in the in, in 9to5Mac lately. Um, they should support multiple widget sizes, so like a compact layout, uh, an expanded layout. They should also do, I'm going to you know throw my ideas out there, they should also support live icons similar to the calendar. Is the clock icon by Apple also a live icon? Yeah, so... It is. Yeah, it even has the seconds hand, like, so you can watch seconds ticking. Uh, live icons could be the next customizable icon. So, like, you know, another nice new thing for developers to support. And I'm going to go right ahead and say it. They should do live shortcuts on the home screen. So imagine a shortcut that could have, that is not just a static icon, maybe with a custom glyph that you bought from Mac Stories, but also, like, an actual live tile that uh, shows you progress, maybe shows you some kind of UI, some kind of confirmation message of sorts. Like imagine instead of just like tapping an icon to open the shortcuts app that runs the shortcut for you, imagine having some kind of like staying on the home screen, first of all, not having to launch the shortcuts app when you run a shortcut, but also to have some kind of visual confirmation of the shortcut in there. And then of course, if the shortcut requires interaction like typing some text or choosing from a list maybe it could show you those elements on the home screen or maybe it could just take you back to the shortcuts app and that would be fine but for most shortcuts i would love the ability to run them as live icons live tiles column whatever from the home screen right there without launching shortcuts with some kind of um, visual aspect to them that would be really good. I would like that too. Just to make it make things feel a bit more alive. Like not everything needs to be a widget, right? No. Like having no. these live icons, that might be enough for a lot of things. Not everything needs a widget. Let's get weird is my message to Apple. Let's do weird things. <laughs> do new things. Whatever. It's 2020. There's a global pandemic going on. Get weird because we could all use it. Is this your platform for 2020? Let's get weird. This is my platform. Let's get weird. Okay. Yes. It's good. I think this all started with kickstands. <laughs> Honestly, can you disagree with my approach? Like, no. See? We nope. could all. <laughs> Federico, I use my iPad with a you know a plugged in RGB split keyboard. Oh, I'm on board with getting weird, baby. That sounds lovely. I love it. Yes. <laughs> can you say that again? Can you say those words again? I use my iPad in a stand with a keyboard which needs two USB-C cables plugged into a splitter which has RGB cycling lights Oof. with the keyboard physically kicked in, uh, split in Do half. you hear that, Stephen? Can you do that stuff with your Macintoshes? I bet you can't. Macintoshes. <laughs> if they add widgets to the home screen, I totally think they should. Would they get rid of the uh, the row of widgets in the Today View? Would these kind of become one thing, you think? Or would they keep, mm. like, you could put widgets you need on the home screen, like secondary widgets still over there on the side? There could be a page on the side, but I think the system to design and create widgets, sh- uh, the old one should be scrapped and, and actually release a new framework. Uh, the... 
I think I would want them in both places, personally. Same, but I think the technology developers use to make them should be a new one. Uh, because the yes, old widget yes. system is like limited in a bunch of weird ways. Like It's so old now. It's so old, there's a, like... There's, there have always been layout problems with like when you expand the widget from the compact layout to the expanded one. Some weird stuff always happens. And not the good weird, the bad weird. Um, they, they do not support like uh, keyboard input, for example. Whereas I think it should really be a more um, flexible system. And also the UI that you can show in there is super limited. Should be a new one. Should You should have the option of choosing like, is this... Like, the idea of, like, widget and icon, maybe it's an old one. Maybe everything should become a new, more dynamic sort of thing. And I don't mean that I want, like, all my icons to move, <laughs> like, you know, uh, you know, flash different images all at once. Um, but, to, but to have a more dynamic system for some things, I don't know, like an Apple Music widget, that would be beautiful. And, yes, I'm fully aware that this is stuff that Android has done for a while. I just want the same, maybe a little more, done in an Apple fashion. That's what I'm asking for. Android has been doing this yeah. for 10 years. 10 years we've been asking for it. 10 yes. years. Come yes. on, Apple. Yes. Yes. <laughs> if you uh, if you overdo it, though, your phone ends up looking like the Las Vegas Strip, right? Like there's. <laughs> See, I know. I know you were going to say that. I, I don't want that, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. You know, moderation. With Do everything mod- in moderation. Mm-hmm. Customize responsibly. Yes. All right, as promised, we're going to wrap up with the Mac Madness stuff, talking about the winner, and I have made uh, my picks. Uh, but before we get to that, let me tell you about our final sponsor. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Bowl and Branch, the folks who make the softest organic sheets and luxury bedding. If you're looking to add a little luxury to your life, then this is for you. My wife and I received a set of Bowl and Branch sheets, and it was a spectacular unboxing experience. But the bedding really is amazing. They are by far the nicest sheets we have. And when it's time to wash them and put something else on the bed, I feel a little sad. You know, I want them there all the time. I was going to say this. We we washed ours recently, and I'm just, like, so disappointed at the sheets that we had before now. So I need to rectify that. Yeah. Be warned. Mm-hmm. They'll ruin your other sheets. Their products are made with uncompromised quality and attention to detail every step of the way. They're meticulously crafted from pure 100% organic long staple cotton. That means they will get softer over time. So, Mike, when they end up back on the bed, they'll be even better. Oh, nice. If you didn't know, Bowl and Branch really are the good guys when it comes to ethical manufacturing. All their factories prioritize workers, empowerment, and sustainable incomes. 100% of their packaging is made from recycled paper, and they're the first manufacturer of linens to become fair trade certified. So give it a try. Shipping is always free. You can try them out for 30 nights risk-free. And right now, you'll get $50 off your first set of sheets at bowlandbranch.com with the promo code CONNECTED. Go there now. Upgrade your bedding. You won't regret it. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L, bowlandbranch.com, promo code CONNECTED. Our thanks to Bowl and Branch for the support of the show and Relay FM. Before we talk about the last topic, I have a quick request for connected listeners. I want to understand uh, why people love Notion so much. Oh no, what are you doing to yourself? Have you heard the good news about Notion? (laughs) No, I have not. (laughs) You're going to hear it. (laughs) Uh, So here's my request. I want to know your 
interesting and and weird in a good way and fun things in which you're using Notion. Like, I get the basic, like, note-taking stuff and you can link uh, multiple pages with each other and you can have tables. Like, the basics, I understand. I've played with Notion. I was not impressed by the fact that it was like a web app running on my iPhone or the iPad, but I see that they have a slightly better iPad version out today. So I want to check that out again, but I also want to understand what are some of the most impressive like setups that people have in Notion, like some fascinating, even if it's, even if it's like, a, like a super niche type of approach. I want to know about that. I want to I wanna hear from you. So let me know if you're using Notion in a, in, a, uh, in a fun, interesting, fascinating, weird, in a good way uh, setup. I want to see that. I want to know about you. So let me know. That was my request. That was my official request. You're going to get a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. See, resources are fine as long as they have actual examples I can, I can study. I'm done, Stephen. Yes, thank you. Mac Madness. Mark, mark, mark. <laughs> uh, so in, in the show notes, in the chat room right now, I have a, uh, an image that is my bracket, how I filled it out. Which is our request to you. Yes. It's pretty different from how it went down in the real world. But um, and it's probably not a surprise to anyone who who follows my stuff, kind of how I how I would vote. Uh, but Mike, I believe you wanted to ask me about this, and I guess we could talk about the winner. Well, I think we should start by talking about the winner okay. because, like, and then we can actually talk about your picks, which is like a completely different thing. Sure. The winner was the cube. So connected listeners came through. Go cube. Go and cube. They voted for the cube. The cube is the, was the right winner out of the two. It just was. It was the most exciting, the most interesting. Very close. I know. What was the final? It won with 51.3% of the votes. Woo! About half the time when I looked at the at the results as they were coming in, it was split dead 50-50. Wow. Like, it was wild. <laughs> Look, I think everyone can agree. This went in places that maybe it shouldn't have. You know, like I think everyone can, can decide themselves what they think about that, right? But of the two... I mean, I'm just happy to see that the cube was the winner mm-hmm. because you know that laptop could have been any laptop. Who would know, right? It's just a MacBook Pro. But let's talk about yours. Let's talk about your uh, your bracket here. I don't I don't know if we want to go through every. Um, no, that's a lot. Through every one, it seems like a lot. But I do want to touch on some of these okay. here. I think we should maybe start with some heavy hitters. So the Mac. Pros. So you had the Mac Pro 2019 go further than any other Pro Mac, yeah. right? You took that all the way through to the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's. Uh, I really do love this computer. I mean, it's the first okay. Mac Pro I've owned, and it's like a return to really heavy hitting Mac hardware from Apple, and I I think that it's just fantastic. Okay, I'll, we'll make sure that Stephen's bracket is in the show notes if you want to follow along. Yes. Uh, one that we were hearing about a lot was the SE30. Uh-huh. Yeah. You had the SE30 go out in round two to the iMac G3. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think, again, you can see here why random seeding was terrible for that particular thing alone, right? <laughs> it's one that, that hurt from it. Uh, yeah, so I had it move on. I had it beat the Retina MacBook Pro that the audience put into the finals. So that's the biggest difference between my bracket and the public's, I think. Mm. The SC30 was a great machine, and it it was the capstone to that early Macintosh period, right? And lots of people have written about that and talked about it. And for me, 
it, it does signify that. Um, and, you know, the Retina MacBook Pro from 12 to 15, like, it's a great computer, but this is favorite. And I think the SE30 kind of pulls on my heartstrings more than that MacBook Pro. But look, the iMac G3, I mean, it's 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 a machine that I have spent so much time with. I did that big project with it. I traveled halfway across the country to give them to a museum, right? Like, I spent a lot of time with that, and and that one was a, a, a clear f- finalist for me. Which is probably a good place to mention that you had the iMac G3 go to through the final against yes. the Titanium PowerBook mm-hmm. G4, and you had the Titanium PowerBook G4 beat the iMac G3, which I can't believe that. But the Titanium PowerBook's my favorite Mac of all time. It's just a surprise to me, considering yeah. how much you have been through. It, yeah, it was very close, and I thought a lot about it. The reason that the Titanium, for me, won out is that it was kind of the my first Mac. I, I had a high school job. My boss gave me a Titanium to use as my own. It's the, it's the machine I took to college. It, it, it just... As much as I love the iMac G3, the Titanium was like my first Mac, and mm. I've got it, and it's it's fantastic, and it because it, it helped set me off on this course, right? That my love for that machine is what made all this so interesting to me, and that I just couldn't say no to. Uh, the TAM, the twentieth anniversary Mac, mm-hmm. you had that beat the original Mac Mini, the Power Mac G5, but losing out to the clamshell iBook G3. Yeah. That's another surprise to me. Uh, yeah, the TAM didn't go very far. Uh, the clamshell iBook went pretty far in the in the the public one. In fact, the clamshell iBook, uh, the public and I got it to the same place, <laughs> which yeah. is interesting. It's one of the only things which is the yeah. same. Uh, I love the 20th anniversary Mac, but the clamshell iBook is just way more fun because it's got a handle. It came in at a bunch of different colors and... First, you know, it's like it's just more fun to me. I, I love my 20th anniversary Mac. I'm very fortunate to to own one. Maybe fortunate's not the right word for most people, but I was very happy to obtain one a few years ago. But the clamshell book just instead out for me because I think if I had to pick between the two, the clamshell is uh, is a lot more fun, and it, and again, like favorite sort of my love for these things. The clamshell iBook was one of the very first machines that I collected. The Cube and the clamshell were my, my first two Macs that I collected, and so it, it has a special place in my heart. Plus, you can get it in orange, which you can't argue with. So, like the last one on this side of the bracket, left side of the bracket, the iMac Pro you had lose to the 12-inch PowerBook G4. Mm-hmm. That is a surprise to me because before the Mac Pro, like you, would, I would hear you frequently say like the iMac Pro is like the best Mac you've ever owned, that kind yeah. of thing. And I know best and favorite are different, but yes. like... That's a surpri- that's still a surprise to me because I know that you're a big iMac Pro fan. I am a huge iMac Pro fan, and that one out of the first round I think was one of the hardest. I think I could have gone um, could have gone either way, but the the PowerBook inched it out for me. I think because including myself, like Apple's never really rekindled that magic. Like there's something really special about that machine, and like I have a couple of them, and anytime I open it, it's like this just makes me happy. The, the keyboard goes all the way to the edge. It's all very tight and and tidy something nice about it also the, the chat room wants me to say orange again yeah you say it funny. so i guess i've done that it's like it's one sound orange like orange you say it federico orange say it in italian arancia oh god it's way better that's oh, better that was better yeah we should all say it like that <laughs> yeah um all right i want to talk about your uh how you let the cube run through to the quarterfinal mm-hmm. you had the cube beat both good MacBook Airs, and I am surprised about that. 
I know. I was shocked that so, so I while this was voting, I didn't want to comment on how I had voted. That was kind of one of my rules. But I was really surprised the public followed me in this because I didn't think that the, I thought the I thought the 13 inch air was I thought the 13 inch air and the black MacBook were going to be in the semifinals in in the public bracket. I was shocked that the the cube made it as far as it did. Uh, you know, winning. I didn't expect that. That was a surprise to me. But again, like going back to it was one of the it was one of those first two machines for me. It's just so it's such a fascinating machine because of the way it's designed, but the fact that it was a failure. And they Apple used language that they put it on ice. They didn't cancel it. Like the whole thing is so weird and special. I just uh, you know, the air is a better machine in every way, but the cube again is is more special to me. Mm. And, you know, the public vindicated me because it won. <laughs> now, look, I love, you know, I gave my love for the G4 Cube, but I I would, I would, and I don't think I did have the Cube make it out of round one. Mm-hmm. Because the 11-inch MacBook Air was like a very special computer for me. Yeah. Like, I loved that computer, like many other people did. I was r- just really surprised to see that you put the Cube that far through, the, through your own bracket. Uh, I don't think I have much, like many more comments on the right-hand side of the bracket. I think most of the interesting debates were on the left side anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really think that the right has got a lot in it for me, honestly. Yeah, and that, that's that's totally fine. I mean, that, that's why this has been such an, inter- an interesting project, because people approach it in such different ways, and, and honestly in ways that I didn't really expect. I kind of figured that people would sort of struggle with the best versus favorite, you know? I kind of assumed that that would be kind of a difficult thing um, to talk about and to get through. And and I think it was. You know, I think a lot of the arguments I saw on Twitter about it, which is fantastic, right? Like, I, I love how, how into this people were. Uh, but I, I think that's really where a lot of the sort of differences come from. And the age you are and when you came to the Mac and what you think about the Mac all would influence your decisions on this, which I think is why the results are so fascinating. Are you going to do it again? I think so. I don't think I'm going to do favorite Macs again, um, but I have some other some other ideas. I would love to see a favorite iPhone. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I will... I'm not committing to this, but I think that's what I will probably do next year. Favorite iPhone would be nice. Favorite iPad would be also yeah. fine. Favorite Apple TV would just be sad. <laughs> mm. Favorite Beats headphones would be fun, but you're too old. Um, yeah. Yeah, favorite iPhone is, should be the next one. Yeah, I think that's what I want to do. And I would separate phone and iPad because, you know, they're very different categories. So, but yeah, that, that's how I would have voted. Um, I'll have a blog post up when the show goes up so you can you can see. It's in the show notes as well, the the image. Um, but yeah, this was a lot of fun. And again, I'm totally blown away that I had 15,000 votes mm. and people were really fired up about it. And I just, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, 2,000 of those votes were Federico for the Cube. I did make it where you couldn't vote again immediately. You said you'd at least have to go to like a private tab or something to do it. So I tried to to limit cheating where I could. Shortcuts. Hacked my Google form with mm-hmm. shortcuts. With uh, Base64. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Worth it. I think that's about it this week, guys. Mm-hmm. If you want to find show notes this week, things we spoke about, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 289. While you're there, you can send us an email with feedback or follow-up. While you're there, you can become a member and support the show directly, which we would appreciate. 
You can also find us on Twitter. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E. Mike is the host of a bunch of other shows here on Real FM. Go check those out. You can find Federico on Twitter at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he's the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. If you did not check out their iPad at 10 coverage, like go find that. There's a link at the bottom of the article in the show notes where you can see the whole category. Lots of really great stuff there. I think you guys totally killed it. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH and my writing over at 512pixels.net. I think our sponsors this week, Pingdom, Squarespace, and Bowl and Branch. Until next week, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Adios.